Um, for the last, should I say umpteen months? But it wouldn't be necessarily that because we started around the same time as the RBC. Uh, and we started preaching through the Gospel of John. And um, thus far we have gotten to chapter 15, verse 11. Had two really great sermons by Brother Mario during the last two services. So um, I will pick up from where he left off. <laughs> Amen. Bless the Lord. And um, I'm going to focus my remarks on chapter 12. Now, I had indicated to Pastor Rittersgaard that the text was going to be taken from chapter 15, beginning at verse 12 to 17. However, um, I want to concentrate on verse 11. Amen? And it reads, if you have your Bibles, sorry, verse 12, chapter 15, verse 12. Um, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. May God bless us through his word today. I want to employ the topic this morning, loving like Jesus. And I'm going to use the outline loving community, loving sacrificially, and loving obediently. And I think when I get to the third aspect of it, I will just press you with some considerations. I trust that the Lord will use the word today to strengthen and bless and encourage all of us who are gathered here today to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Bless the Lord. Um, we Christians, um, Christ's followers, are born again into a life of love. Um, love is not something that we need to attain. We already have it because God indwells us. And the following scriptures illustrate the point. Um, back at RCF, we would have the projector and the scriptures on the screen. So you're going to have to get your Bibles if you want to follow me. I'm in Romans chapter 5. And verse 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out. Within our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So we have the idea there that love is something that comes from God and it is poured into the heart of the redeemed. Um, this is strengthened by James 1.17, where we read the words, Every good. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. I don't think there's anybody in here who would disagree with me that love is a good thing and that the agape love gives, that God gives to us is a perfect gift. Amen? 
coming down from the Father of lights. And we are further admonishing First John 4, 7, where the Apostle tells us, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from who? Love is from God. You can't help me preach this morning. That's all right. Love is from God. And everyone who is born of God and knows God Sorry, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And verse 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. So I'm saying this morning, if you have been called and you have been changed, you have been regenerated, you belong to the Lord, God's love dwells in you. The John further says, we have come to know, verse 16, and believe the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love, abides where? Abides in God. And furthermore, God abides in him. Bless the Lord. So, you know, this is real powerful news for all of us here today. Jesus in John 17, 26 says, And I have made your name known to them. To who? To the disciples. To the apostles. And will make it known. To who? To us. So that the love with which you love me may be in them. And I in them. So let us just step back a little bit and think about this a little soberly. The love which God loved Christ with. Is supposed to be in us. And is in us when we are called to salvation. Think of the love that exists between the members of the Trinity. The love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think you have to step back and say that's really awesome. That's the love that is in you. That's the love that, it is, that is in me. So let us pause here and although we may struggle at times to fully express it and although some things of our flesh may cloud its expression and its work let us pause here and agree based on scripture that it is not possible for a born again believer to not have love because the scriptures are clear that you have it. And the love I'm talking about is God's love, agape love. Amen? And I think as believers, what we need to do is to give the love God has put into our hearts full freedom and expression. Let it work 
in your members. Let the Holy Spirit have his way. Because when we do so, it gives great glory to God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So in the text we are looking at this morning, we are commanded. <laughs> this is not an option. We are commanded. He says, this is my commandment. That you love each other as I have loved you. Bless the Lord. So let us explore this introduction and look at it in some ways because I cannot, I cannot exhaust this sermon. So I am going to look at just three aspects of it. And I don't think the third aspect I'm going to exhaust either. And I don't think I'm going to exhaust any of the aspects of it. But maybe what the Lord has laid on my heart, the Spirit of God will multiply and use to God's glory. So let us look at community. Because we see that Jesus is very big on community or family. And we notice that God himself is also, I'm talking about the Father, prior to the coming of the Son, prior to his death and all of that, we see the Father was also very strong in regards to developing a loving community. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And you heard it this morning in the preliminaries, in the initial part of the worship. A man came to Jesus, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40. We read it from Deuteronomy, but our Lord repeated it here to him. Um, say, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And what did Jesus say there to him? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, I guess I can add the other part, although it's not written here, and with all your strength. And then he said that this is the great, and this is the foremost commandment. But the second is like unto it. And this one speaks directly to community. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is what God wanted. That is what is suggested here. Or is taught here. And on these two depend all the... Depend the on these two commandments depend the whole law... And the prophets. But let us this morning turn to our Lord's focus. As he prepared to depart. And as he prepared to give final instructions to the disciples. And that long discourse in his final 
time before he went to the cross is recorded in, in John 13, um, right through 14, right through 15, right through 16, and climaxes in 17. It's a real long discourse on that eventful um, time. Uh, much Jesus had to say, and I would say to you that what he said here um, were all of the stuff was focus in his mind. This is information he wanted to ensure he passed on to the disciples. And also he wanted to ensure it was recorded so that we will have the benefit of it. So we need to listen carefully to our Lord. Now in John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another even as I love you. That you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is so important to God. This is so important to the church. This is so important to every Christian. Notice the command here is called new, but it's very similar to the quote we read from in the Torah. But there are two differences we need to just acknowledge. The first is that neighbor in this new command is replaced with one another. Not referring to the world, referring to the brethren. Referring, referring to the family of God, referring to Christ's church. And secondly, as yourself is replaced with as I have loved you. So that the benchmark and the example in regards to love that disciples were supposed to emulate is Jesus Christ himself. And I want to just pause here and say to you because um, we will always struggle with issues because we are imperfect. But I want to say this to you without any hesitation. That our Lord was not commanding the unreachable. He's not fooling himself. He wasn't commanding the unreachable. It was and is his plan to execute in us and among us this command. This is what God intends to do. Now a lot of times we may see people in the church not living up to this. And we might think, is God at work here? Um, but we got to pause and recognize that the Lord is at work. Don't you ever doubt it. And the Lord is carrying us and helping us to grow in grace and in knowledge. And he, we, we cannot execute this in our own strength. And as I said to you initially, this love comes down to us from the Father of lights. It is saying that it's poured into us. This, is, this love I am talking about is not of human origin. This is strictly and totally of divine origin. But I believe what God says he will do, he will do. And since he is preparing a church without spot, or blemish 
the Lord is executing this thing in our lives. In the midst of our struggles and issues and sometimes failure. Well, I guess maybe I should change the word all failure because some, you know, but you, know, you can grapple with that. But the Lord is executing it in our lives. So the truth of the matter is that this love for the brethren, as I said to you a little earlier, is not something that is optional. It is the very essence of a redeemed life. And if it is absent, and by absent, I am talking about being absent totally, their love for your fellow Christians, and I'm going to explain a little later to you how that is expressed. If that is absent, then the scriptures are very clear that God is absent too. Hello? If that is absent, God is absent too. So I'm not here to knock upon anybody, just here to strengthen you and to share scripture. All right. If you look at 1 John 4 7, it says, Beloved, let us one love one another. And I think I've shared some of this already. For love is from God. And everyone who is born of God and knows, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In verse 10, 310, 1 John 3:10, John says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. But that is not all he says. He says, nor the one who does not love his brother. So think about that this morning. And then in 1 John 3.34, he says, We know, we know we have passed out of death into life. But this is a really important statement. Because sometimes people, or scripture, because sometimes people ask, the pastor, how do I know I'm saved? Or I don't feel I'm saved. But the Bible is saying there are indications to us that would convey to us whether we are saved or not. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. These are strong statements. He's a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this. How? That he laid down his life for us. And that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we can see from this that we are called and equipped to love community. But let me just, before I get to... Two ways in which the love is expressed in community. Let me just give you my definition of what agape love is. I know it's a very tough task and a very tough ask. But let me share with you um, a a definition of what agape love is. And I owe some of this credit to my brother who is 
preaching this morning at Shalem Evangelical, Brother Lashley, because we were bouncing these thoughts off of one another, and here's where I settled. Love, agape love, can be defined as a, listen to me carefully, because I'm going to come back to this, a perpetual spirit-induced affection for others, desiring and enabling their well-being through self-sacrifice. Can I repeat it? Agape love that God pours into us can be defined, and some of you who are deep into the word and into theology can take this and you can embellish it and change it and modify it to anything that the Lord lays on your heart. But it is a perpetual meaning that it is sustained by the Spirit of God in us. A perpetual Spirit, I'm referring to the Holy Spirit there, induced, that means it comes from Him. Is outside of us and comes from him. Affection for others. This is a predis- this is a disposition towards others, and especially those of us in the household of faith. Desiring and enabling their well-being through self-sacrifice. So if you look at this carefully, you will recognize it is more so a mindset than an emotion. It's a disposition the Spirit of God sets up in us. A mindset. So with this mindset, you don't have to feel a feeling of love for the unlovable. You can love the unlovable through the love that God has given to you. That is why Jesus was able to pray, Father, forgive them. Because they don't even know what they're doing. And in the church today, there are members who will rub us the wrong way. But we can still love them. The way that Jesus Christ wants us to love because of what I have described to you this morning as a gap love. So let us think, or let us reflect this morning on how this love is applied in community. Because if you would want to love like Jesus, you have to love community. See the brethren in here? You're saved brethren? You have to love community. You will love community. How is this applied in community? I'm just going to give you two basic ways. Of course, there are many other things you can say, but I think these two will be important. The first one is quality time together. Quality time together. What am I referring to? I'm referring to here this morning to fellowship together. Worship, corporate prayer, Bible study, socializing. These are things 
if we love our brothers, we will make priority in our lives. If we don't love the church or love Christians, I don't think you're going to make sacrifice to do that. Remember what I tell you is love. It's enabling true self-sacrifice. And all of us in here must recognize that the thing, the, the, the entity, what is important to Jesus Christ this morning is the church. Christ is not building buildings or he is not building economies. The Lord is building the church. You see? And you have a blessing this morning as a Christian over your family. You don't need to worry or fret where money will come from to take care of your children or to take care of your utilities or food or anything like that. The Bible says that God knows what things you have need of even before you ask. That is the child of the Lord. But let us go forward. I want you to also think about this. Many gifts and talents that God gives to you as a Christian. And all of us, we are blessed in some way to bless others. Think about that. Many gifts and talents that God gives to us as Christians can only try to find true purpose and expression among fellow believers. Whether it is a gift of preaching or teaching or administration or mercies and all the other things that the Holy Spirit bestows upon us, God blesses us with those gifts to expand them on others. So I want you to think of who important community is. It is incredibly important because if you withdraw from community, if you refuse to participate, you're going to take the things that God gave you and you're going to put them in your napkin and you are going to hide them away. And we all know the parable of those who took their talents and hid them away. Are you born again this morning? You have gifts that God has given you to bless the church, to bless community. And so all I'm, all I'm here saying to you this morning is that you must find the time to come together. You must find the time. I, I, in, my, in my talk with people on a daily basis about serving the Lord or coming to Christ, they say, I can stay home and serve the Lord. I am saying to you that is impossible. You can challenge me, but not me. Pick that with Brother John. He's your pastor. <laughs> that, that is not scriptural. We, we find usefulness. We find um, the expression of love and the use of love within community. So what does the Bible tell us about community as far as church is concerned? In Hebrews chapter 10 verse um, 23 it says, Let us draw near. What does, it, what does the term draw near means? 
come together with the brethren with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water believers really do keep fellow believers accountable and keep them on the mark when it comes to right living. It says here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Somebody say amen. And let us consider how to stimulate one another. You see that you can't do this now aloof, but some of, some of you may say, well, pastor, you can go on the internet and do it, or you can use my telephone and do it, but it's not the same thing. If you think it's the same thing, I want you to um, exercise your marriage remotely through a phone. <laughs> You don't spend time with your wife or you don't live in the same roof as her. You go somewhere aloof and or, 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 some, somewhere um, apart and you use your phone and your iPad and so forth to communicate. And you will realize fast that it doesn't work. Same thing is true concerning church. There is something about direct contact. I was listening to a program here recently and it is said that Children who were not touched and handled for the first two years of life showed dysfunction later on. And it was real hard to, 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 to correct the problems. Even though touching and all that would go on, let us say, for the um, latter years of life, moving into the, the years of, of adolescence and so forth, that it was extremely difficult to, re, to reverse the damage. So there's something about meeting and touching and talking. And I mean touching in a, in a moral way, right? You understand what it means, right? You, you got me covered, right? Because <laughs> you've got to be very careful nowadays. But I'm talking here about a shake hand. Oh, uh, what have you? Yeah, thanks, Jamal. <laughs> Amen. It was very difficult. So, to my mind, conveys to us the importance of spending time together. And I'm happy to hear that you have a fellowship evening on Wednesday. I hope that all of you at least try to be there. Um, you have a Wednesday, a Sunday evening service. I hope that you all try to be there. Um, I noticed this morning that you were not punctual. That's not a good thing. Right? But I know some of you were practicing that from when you were in St. John. But I think it needs to change. Some of you need to, that needs to change. You need to come together and, and observe these things. Because the truth of the matter is what we do have an impact on others. But listen to scripture. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That happens when I'm able to observe you. As you give 
it encourages me to give thanks to God and also give and so forth and so forth. And then it says, not forsaking our own assembling together. I mean, it's clear here. As is the habit of some. See, you right here understood the danger of not paying and giving attention to community. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day when we shall meet with the Lord face to face. The Bible says we need to prepare so that when we meet the Lord, our hearts will be confident before Him. And as John says, that we say that we do not draw away from His presence. Meaning that we would have um, shirk a responsibility and therefore have our heads hanging that we did not do the best that we could have done. So, let me just leave this section and say to you, the Christian must love community. If we would love like Jesus, we must love community. The second thing I want to say to you concerning that is that we must minister to the needs of our brothers. It's interesting in Romans 16, 26, to read there of the sharing and caring that took place as recorded by the Apostle Paul. 1625, sorry. It says, but now, Paul says, but now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual blessings of spiritual things. They are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So what this passage is saying basically is that there were some saints who were not well off at all. And there were some other saints who were blessed by Persons who seem to have come out of those churches and they had received Christ. And therefore, having received spiritual blessings, they were now catering to the physical needs and physical blessings of these poor saints. I'm saying to us this morning, we have a responsibility not only to take, but also to give. You come to church. And you are not all of that well in your mind. You have had problems, but you come to a service and you are lifted by the prayer. You are lifted by the songs. You are lifted by the message and you leave there revitalized. That's a blessing. And what we ought to do as members in the body of Christ is to help others as we ourselves have been helped. I would say to you this morning that physical needs are transient. What do I mean? Sometimes we are up. Sometimes we are down. And all of us, in, there's nobody in here this morning that is fully satisfied in every area of life. As a matter of fact, life is so fleeting and difficult, transient as they say, 
that you may be well off today in one particular area, but tomorrow you need help. And, and so the church is called to care for each other. One of the things that always um, impress very heavily on me is to see strong people go ill, fall ill. Um, very able-bodied people and sometimes they have a stroke. They're not able to help themselves. They're not able to talk. And they immediately need help. Um, that's what I'm talking about. There's no person in here this morning that can be guaranteed that they will always be able-bodied. So we need to look out for others and help them. That is what loving um, Jesus and ministering to needs is all about. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, our Lord says, well, is here recorded in Scripture. And um, I am correctly saying our Lord because Jesus is the living word, but is also the written word. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. And I don't want you to only think in terms of money. This could be anything. Anything. If you're poor in your confidence, if you're poor in physical resources apart from money and so forth, and you need help and somebody help you because you are part of the brethren, Remember, God says here, He will take note of it and He will repay you for your deed. I don't think we give in order to get back, but God is saying He takes note of it. Whosoever is generous to the poor, do what? Lends to the Lord and He will repay him for his deed. In Proverbs 28 27 it says, Whoever gives to the poor, will not want. Now that works itself out in a multiplicity of ways because the Bible says if you give, people will give back to you. But anyhow, the second part of that verse says, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. He who hides his eyes. What do I mean? You have transportation and you're driving down the road. But you don't want to put anybody in your car. So you keep your eyes straight. That is hiding your eyes from the need of a brother. Stop and give the brother or sister a lift. Somebody wants a bottle of gas and they ask for help. The person needs the gas to cook. And you can go and carry them for it. But you refuse to do it. That's hiding your eyes. All I'm saying this morning is that we need to be sensitive to the needs of the brethren. Because listen, Jesus would have done it for you. He would have done it for you. So if we want to love like him, we have to do it for the brethren. 
And think about what God is saying here. He who hides his eyes will get many a curse. What does the Lord mean by that? Or you can you can figure that one out. Let me say to you this morning that giving to the brethren, the Bible says, is actually giving to Jesus. Now that's a real important point to get this morning, you know. You think that you are throwing it in the carinage? Or you're burying it in a well? You are giving it to Jesus. You're not really losing anything. You are really gaining significantly when you give to others. So we have this passage of scripture in Matthew 25, 37. It says, Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king would answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. Now that statement there, my brothers, is referring to the brethren. And as much as you did it to, the, to, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to who? To me. So if there's anybody in here who, really, who wants to give to Jesus... You see how you can do so based on scripture. Um, living in community then requires caring for others in the community. The second thing I want to deal with this morning is loving sacrificially. This is my commandment. That you love each other as I have loved you. And this means loving sacrificially. Now I've touched on some of this in the sermon already. So if I repeat it, it's just for emphasis. However you twist it, loving like Jesus involves self-sacrifice. You can't get around that. It's a self-sacrifice of time, of resources. Um, even, if it, even if you're just going to pray, that calls for time, that calls for focus. may even call for spiritual preparation. But giving and loving like Jesus involves self-sacrifice. So every Christian in here needs to make up their mind this morning that they need to be a self-sacrificing person. And our example, our perfect example is Christ Jesus himself. And I say to you that making a sacrifice, sacrifice involves, involves self-denial by its very nature. And one of the passages that explains this real well is found in Philippians 2, 3 to 8. In chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Nothing. But with humility of mind, 
regard another as more important than yourself. Now that's a real tough and high and demanding threshold. Regard others as more important than you. <laughs> if you want love like Jesus, there you have it. Because he regarded me as more important when he went to the cross. So uh, think about that. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. So Paul is not saying you shouldn't. Your personal interests will be you and your immediate family and your children and all the rest of it. All these things are very important. But he says you've got to balance that and also look out for the interests of others. And within the household of faith, your fellow believers, the people who are, are in your immediate spiritual family, have this attitude in yourselves. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was never preoccupied with the fact that he was just a servant and that God was his head and that the Father was greater than he was. Jesus was focused on the people he came to help. But the Bible says he emptied himself. And I will say to you of the other ways to interpret this passage. And, and of course, I'm not saying that I am 100% in synchronism with some of those interpretations. But I just want to interpret this the way it applies based on what I'm saying to you. He emptied himself of personal loss. But emptied himself of personal loss or gain. He was not necessarily interested in himself at that point in time. And we see that coming true in his passion. When he prayed, Father, if it be possible, take this from me. But nevertheless, thy will be done. So all of us in here this morning must consider what is the will of God. Concerning these things in regards to me. So what I'm saying to you is that personal loss or gain must not come into the equation. As to be the other person or persons that the Lord is pointing us to today. But Jesus taking the form of a bond servant. And that word there can be translated slave. Taking the form of a slave. And being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance of a man, he did what? Humble himself. And certainly what he is demanding on us, of us this morning requires humility. To treat others better than you, to put them first, requires humility. That God himself supplies through the Holy Spirit. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, the Bible says, even death of a cross. And I would not develop that anymore. Just leave it there. 
But consider what the passage is calling us to today. And Jesus did all that to save us from God's wrath. I want you to think about that this morning. There are many people who say, well, the gospel and salvation is about being saved from sin. And that is true to some extent. But it is very much being saved from wrath. That is what this is the gospel. The gospel is a wrath gospel. The wrath of God. No, I'm dead serious. The wrath of God is coming on the entire world. And the only reason you are going to escape it is because Jesus has saved you from it. So your sins, your big basis on sin is incidental. That's incidental. But the real thing you have been saved from is the wrath of God. Now, I can't stop either to develop that concerning God's holiness and all the rest of it. So, let me just move on here. Because John makes that very clear in 1 John 4, 9. He says, By this the love of God was manifested in us. And whenever you see us and so forth in these texts, it's referring to the brethren. Those called to salvation. Those born again. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, I'm sure many of you here know what it means. But God's wrath needed to be appeased. So Jesus offered atonement, what the theologians call expiation, so that God's wrath could be appeased. So when that atonement is applied to us, we are saved from wrath. And then John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also. Come on now. To love one another. Because I want you to think of what Jesus suffered. On Calvary's cross. As we are approaching Good Friday. I begin to think. About death and penalty. And I said to myself. But Tyrone if you were about to be executed. But to save you will require that some brother would allow someone with a hammer to smash four of their fingers. How much you think would allow that to happen to save you from death? Would anybody in here allow somebody to smash their index and thumb on both hands to save me from execution? Well, my son and my wife say yes. Praise the Lord. But Jesus went through much worse than that. To save not a son or husband. To save an enemy. Because we were enemies of the cross and of Christ before we became friends. You see? I want you to just think about that this morning. How much Jesus has done for you. 
So John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, think of what he did on the cross, you know. He would, he would have done it for me, you know. Jesus would have, you know, you see me? Some of you would never do that for me, but Jesus, Jesus did it. Not would do it, Jesus did it. The Bible says he was wounded for transgressions. You know what's a wound, right? The opening of the, the skin and the exposing of the underlying tissue, the ligaments and the muscles. He was wounded for transgressions. He was bruised. When you think of a bruise, you think of a blow that causes internal bleeding. Some people tell me that's even more painful than a wound. But his stripes, stripes are lashes. I don't think Isaiah fully described all that our Lord suffered. But that is some of it. In another passage it says he was spat upon and all the rest of it. And then the Bible says he was laid out and spikes were driven through his wrists and through his feet. Think of the pain. The Bible says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because we have not resisted unto the shedding of our blood. We, we, we don't shed our blood for, for each other. Although I believe, as indicated, some of you would. So Jesus sacrificed himself because he wanted to save us. From wrath. Um, this is born in 1 Thessalonians 1 9. In 1 Thessalonians 1 9, First Thessalonians 1 9, it says, For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus. Who does what? Who rescues us from the wrath to come. Oh man. Oh. First John 3.16 says, For we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Finally this morning, let me just deal briefly with loving obediently. Because if there is one thing that I would say in relation to the two things, love and obedience, is that they are two gloves. They work hand in hand. There's no such thing as loving God and not being obedient to God. And there's no such thing as loving our brothers and then living a life of obedience to God. Now when he examined Jesus, 
Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. Uh, this is born over and over again in Scripture. John 14, 31 says, But so that the world may know that I love the Father. And I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. I am impressed with the Lord's full and complete obedience. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. This is the level to which we must rise. And anyone who may be wondering about obedience and what it, ha what it has to do with love, I just want you to think this morning of the disappointment and damage that obedience, disobedience sorry, does to God and to others. Let me say to you this morning that you living obedient to the Lord in the church has a positive and powerful impact on the body. And if you live in disobedience to the Lord, it will have a negative impact on the body and on the name of the Lord. Because there's some scripture that is playing around the back of my mind where it says that the Lord's name is defamed because of the ridiculous behavior of the people of Israel. When we do what is right, it glorifies the Lord. And when we do what is wrong, it tarnishes the faith. Consider the warning this morning that scripture gives regarding the need for obedience to abide in love. And this abiding doesn't necessarily mean that you will lose salvation or lose agape love. It just means that you can trouble your fellowship with the Lord. So Jesus said to the disciples, listen, be on guard. He says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. I have not loved you any less than the Father. Abide in my love. And then he says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. I'm not preaching about this entire passage, but you will read a little later where Jesus says, You did not choose me, I chose you, and I ordained you to go forth and bring forth fruit, and so forth. So I don't want you to run away with the idea that if you do not abide in the love of the Lord, such and such will be the result. Just as the Father have loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And notice each step of the way, Jesus had the Father's full approval and help. I want you this morning to consider the benefits of obedience. In John 14, 21, 
He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And look at what happens. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will disclose myself to him. In other words, our friendship with the Lord will grow and become stronger and stronger. And I think that there are areas of this to be explored and to be developed as we grow with the Lord. Consider this morning the validation it has on our faith. Not only validation, but impact. Consider that it is a powerful defense against the enemy of our souls. John 2, 3, um, the apostle says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I can't stop to deal with what his commandments mean. But those of you who are RCF will remember that we dealt with this. Some of us, several of us, in some previous services. Whoever does not keep his commandments, the Bible says, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. See what love intends to do? By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So there are benefits, there are blessings, there are considerations here that you need to take into account when it comes to loving obediently. But one thing is certain, um, our Lord obeyed the Father perfectly and as a result of that obedience, he was able to have a tremendous impact. I close by saying to you this morning that obedience pleases the Lord, blesses the church. And I, re- I need not rehash some of the stories in the Bible about those who um, refused to obey. And God was extremely vexed with them, referring to people like um, Achan and Saul and others. So we have the examples in the Old Testament for our own admonition that we need to observe. But obedience pleases the Lord and it blesses the church. And if only because of that, we ought to be obedient. Obedience is an expression of our love for the Lord. Obedience pleases God the Father. Loving like Jesus is living obediently to the Lord.
So if I may just recap briefly, briefly recap. Loving Jesus is loving community. Loving Jesus is loving sacrificially. Loving Jesus is loving obediently as he demonstrated in his life. I pray this morning these things will minister to your hearts and your minds. There's so much more that could be said. But I trust that they will be of blessing, help, and encouragement to all of you. The Lord bless you. It was great to be here. May the Lord carry you forward.